All right, let's pray one more time. Indeed, Heavenly Father, we recognize you are good, even when we hurt, even when your people hurt us. God, I pray that we would recognize that you are good. Bless us with open ears and open hearts and open minds so that we can see and hear you from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor, you just don't know what they did to me. These words have been spoken in my office over the last 20 years many, many times. Often followed by stories that should just make you want to vomit. Some of the most horrific stories on earth. In my office and in jails, I have spoken with murderers. I have spoken with adulterers and rapists and child abusers and drug addicts. I have counseled survivors of abuse that would make your stomach turn. At least ought to. I have cried with children who do not know which way is up because of the trauma that they have endured. I have spoken with homosexuals who wish they weren't homosexuals. I have spoken with homosexuals who intentionally know that what they are doing is telling God they don't give a rip about what He has to say. I have had conversations with abortionists. And I have had conversations with abortion survivors who have not come to terms with the forgiveness that is theirs offered to them in Christ. This world is filled with pain. This world is filled with pain that causes pain. And pain that causes hatred. And pain that causes heart-sickening doubt. Oh Lord, Maranatha, come quickly. What every single person that just went through my mind has in common is that they are sinners and that they have been sinned against. And therefore, all of them stand in need of forgiveness. Now, pardon me for just making this assumption, but I think every single one of us falls into those same categories. Forgiveness is a decision about the future. Forgiveness is not, cannot be, a feeling about the past. Now we are in the middle of a series on forgiveness, and there is so much to cover. If I'm going to do this in four weeks, I'm going to leave out a lot. And I'm going specifically over the things that I'm going through because I want us to get what the Bible has to say on forgiveness. 
And I presume, I believe at the bottom of my heart that there are those who are standing in this room or sitting in this room. <laughs> Boy, that may have been a faux pas, huh? <laughs> Freud, Freudian slip. Um, I believe there are those in this room who are going to have emotions drug up by this teaching that they don't know how to deal with. Pastor Benji's phone number is 925-2671. Today I want to define what forgiveness is and what it isn't so that you and I will know what it looks like to embrace the Holy Spirit's teaching through His Word. Now last week we looked at Jesus, what I call His most impassioned teaching on forgiveness. Jesus, if you remember Matthew 18 last week, talked about the reality of the hearts of those who refuse to forgive. And it was heavy teaching, wasn't it? And Jesus talked about the reality of the punishment for those who refuse to forgive. We read Matthew 18, verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Like his specific teaching in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus' big idea is that you and I must forgive if we are going to experience God's forgiveness. So tonight, I want to go through some specific passages to see what the Bible says about forgiveness, what it is and what it isn't. But I want to start, before we get there, with the basic reality of forgiveness and how our forgiveness relates to our relationship and our fellowship with our Heavenly Father. We're going to kind of go quickly through a lot of this, otherwise we'll be here for a long time. You have notes in front of you. If you did not get notes when you walked in, I will not be offended if you get up and go grab some, but please do take out a pen because there will be lots of Scripture. The first point to fill in the blank on your sheet, God will forgive everyone who asks Him. Romans 10.13 Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you are willing to look beyond your own resources to save you, if you are willing to turn your back on the deceitful promises of money, sex, and power, if you are willing to turn your eyes towards the substantial promises of God for you in Christ, then you will call upon the name of the Lord and He will answer. He will answer and He will save any who desire the friendship of the single best friend in the universe. He will save anyone and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Second point, those forgiven forever become a child of God. John tells us, but to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Often quoted verse, but we don't often know what it means. To receive 
if you receive, if you trust that God's promises for you in Christ are in fact for you right now and not just some by and by that's going to come someday when you go up to the clouds. But if you believe and if you actively call these promises to mind so that they work in you and through you in your thinking and your speech and your attitudes and your actions, then you are the kind of person that God can safely call His child. And you will be forever His child. Now guess what? This is going to be news to you all. You've never heard this before. Even as Christians, you're going to fail. You're going to sin. Even after you become a Christian. Can you believe that? And so the Bible teaches us something very important. Sin disrupts fellowship with God, not relationship. 1 John 1.8 If we say we have no sin, which would be a sin, right? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The point is, is that you and I must be willing to forsake our sin and turn back to Jesus. If we do this, then our fellowship with Him, that active closeness that we have with Him will be restored. So, when I was a teenager, I was living with my dad, and my dad was my dad. And you know what is funny? Even if he had disowned me, there would be forever that man would be my father, right? That makes sense. But, if, as may hypothetically have happened, especially before I became a Christian, I told my dad, to, never mind. (laughs) Our fellowship would have been and often was broken. We were not able to communicate closely because both of us were sinners and we broke that fellowship. Likewise, when we have unrepented sin in our hearts, as children of God, as Bible-believing, Christ-honoring people, when we have unrepented sin in our heart, our fellowship with God is broken. And so we need to say, Lord, forgive me. And guess what? He does. Right then. And I love how Pastor Benji frequently says, you don't have to wait two hours after you've sinned so you've repented long enough. Just go to Him. And He receives you. This is good news, my friends. You don't have to, oh, wallow in your sin. This is something I have done many times. Just call on Him. And He will forgive you. Of course, there are those who have never begun a relationship with the Father. And so, those who are not forgiven, perish. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And no, I wasn't trying to make any political point by choosing this passage. 
I just want to point out those with unforgiven sin are not forgiven. Those who have not turned to the Lord and repented of their sin are not forgiven. Those who have not experienced forgiveness from our Lord in heaven remain with their sin accounted to them. Their sin remains their chief identity. And whatever flavor of sin that person is attracted to, that consumes them. But the main reason why I chose this passage is verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Having been forgiven, our identity changes. Who we are changes. And though you may have committed adultery, you are no longer an adulterer. Though you may have stolen, which that may be true of me, I'm no longer a thief because my Lord has forgiven me. I am no longer a liar. That's not my identity. My identity is a child of God. And that is who the Lord makes us. And Christians remain sinners. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you, continually make you more like Jesus. And may He finish it. May He sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this verse. I love this verse because in spite of all my sin, in spite of my sin today, this verse promises that He will make me righteous on the day of Christ. Do you have that hope? Do you have the hope that the Lord is the one who fulfills His requirements for you? If you don't, that is something you need to come and talk to Pastor Benji and I about. This process of sanctification, this process of becoming more like Jesus is a process and we can be certain that you and I will have it completed, not because I am such a great person, but because we have such a good and forgiving God. Forgiveness of necessity begins with the Lord. We must be forgiven for anything that I'm about to say to make any sense whatsoever. Now, assuming that you have begun this relationship with the Father and that you are walking in fellowship with Him so that you can sense His approval, then you can also take the next step, which is to forgive those who have sinned against you. I read this last week, and I am very likely to read it the next two weeks again. Forgiveness is a process that begins with a choice to be obedient to Christ's command. A one-time, I forgive you, or I forgive that person. That's a choice. It's a one-time thing that you must do. You must trust God's promise to be just in the end. Then, that one-time decision needs to be followed up. This point-in-time decision is then followed by repeated decisions to let that decision stand. 
trusting God to continue to provide the grace that you need to walk in faith. Forgiveness is a decision that is made at one point by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then decision is also a process. It is a continual process of remembering, I already forgave that person. I forgave them. Lord, I forgave them. Help me to love those who are around me. Now we make a mistake if we believe that simply forgiving one time will change our emotions forever. I think every single person in this room is old enough to know that that doesn't work. But you must take this initial step or you will never progress. We misstep if we mistake the initial forgiveness for the process and we misstep if we mistake the process for that initial decision. Remember, forgiveness is a decision about the future. Forgiveness is not a feeling about the past. Here's where the rubber gets, meets the road. I decide I'm going to forgive somebody. And I'm going along my merry way, and I'm driving along, you know, those times that I use the idea your brain is in neutral, you're kind of doing something, but you're not actively thinking about what you're doing. Your brain is kind of in neutral, and then that memory jumps back into your mind. Oh! Is everybody with me? You know exactly what I'm talking about because we've all been there. If you have a belly button, you have been painfully separated from somebody and you need to forgive. And so I need to that moment, driving the car, remember that I've already forgiven that person and move on. Lord, thank you. Change my heart. But how? What, what, do, what am I asking for if I ask the Lord to change my heart so that right now, driving down the 101, I can remember that I have forgiven and not do something foolish, but do something real. I'm going to give you six what forgiveness is not, and I'm going to give you six what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not denying the injury or pretending all is well. Here's, here's a common thing. You know, you're in line with someone and you bump into them. Oh, sorry, dude. I don't know how many times I've, I've done that. And usually the reaction would be if I bump into Larry, he'd... Don't worry about it. it. I mean, it's almost like that doesn't even need to be responded to because it, it wasn't intentional. I didn't knock anything out of his hands. I just kind of bumped into him. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bump into you. But now what if it's not just nudging him in line at Panda Express? What if it's ramming his car and doing real physical damage to his car or even to his body? Oh, don't worry about it. That's not forgiveness. That's psychosis. It's also, number two, not condoning the offense or excusing the offender. 
someone rams your car, you don't say, oh, well, he was just had too much fun that night and was drinking a little too much. You don't excuse him. No. Yeah, this is serious stuff. This is more than just bumping into me in the line at Panda Express. This is serious. You, you don't condone, oh, it's, it's all good. Don't worry about it. Listen, if you have pain in your heart, we're going to discuss this more next week, but if you have that pain in your heart, very likely there is real sin and you don't go about saying, oh, it's all good. Now there are some exceptions to that and we'll get into those in the coming weeks. Another really common mistake that we make when we talk about forgiveness is that we believe, number three, that forgiveness is somehow a guarantee of reconciliation. I have forgiven you, therefore, we just act as if everything is is exactly the same and, and there's no change and there's no pain and there's nothing to reconcile with. Forgiveness is a one-way street and you are commanded to walk down that one-way street. You are commanded by the Lord and we talked last week about how serious He was about it. Me forgiving you reaches out and says, I am no longer going to be controlled by my hatred of you. Now reconciliation is that person receiving this thank you for your forgiveness. Forgive me for what I did to you. And reconciling. That's a two-way street. There's a lot of walking that needs to happen for reconciliation to happen. It's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. Forgiveness does not always release the offender from corrective action and discipline. I was at a very large church in Southern California. Uh, we had a couple thousand people coming and we had all kinds of situations. Um, I, The guy becomes a Christian and now he's out of prison. Do we take and make that person the treasurer for our church? No. And for at least two reasons. Number one, why would I want, assuming the man is a believer, why would I want to put him in the way of temptation? Right? He's obviously tempted by that. Why would I want to do that to someone that I love? And number two, just because we forgive the man doesn't mean that there is no corrective action. I believe that what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 9, when he says that I might not fall short, I think he's talking about losing his opportunity to be a pastor, to be a missionary. 
Because I don't think we lose our salvation, but I do think that consequences come that forever make it so that we're not doing some things. We have lost the opportunity to do those ministries just as this man lost. I don't think he ever asked me the treasure, but you get the point that I'm making. So how does that make sense of what I said last week? That the New Testament is always interested in restoration. The goal of all efforts in the New Testament is to restore the sinner. Yes, restore the sinner. But that doesn't mean that there aren't necessarily corrective actions that must take place. You bring him. You make him small group leader if he's willing and able to do that. But you don't make him treasurer. Now what's the opposite of that? The opposite is using forgiveness as a weapon with which to punish the offender or to feel superior. Well, I forgave you about that a long time ago. Sure doesn't sound like it. Don't use the, well, I forgave you card as a way of putting someone down or making yourself out to be better because you're not. You're a sinner saved by grace just as much as they are. Remember, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And forgiveness does not mean that no one pays for the sin. Now, this is a point we're going to get to in depth over the next two weeks. But you've got to take the hit. If you're going to forgive, you have to be willing to say, I will take the hit. I will not use this as a means of getting back at you. I will accept it. It's done. Now we're moving forward because forgiveness is a decision about the future, not a feeling about the past. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is releasing the offender from retaliation. Wait. Didn't you just say you're not going to make the guy treasurer? Yeah, but you're not going to beat him up with that. No, that opportunity is close to you, but we would love to have you greet, make coffee, maybe even, as I said, if he grows and matures and and grows into it, maybe that guy becomes one of your small group leaders. I don't know, but the point is, is that you don't use it. You release the offender from retaliation. Forgiveness is at the heart, recognizing that you don't have the capacity to seek revenge in a Christian manner. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. What a burden off my shoulders I don't have to figure out the best way to get revenge the Lord will have either laid it on Christ on the cross or they will bear it in hell and no amount of revenge quote unquote on my part will be effective on either of those extremes Number two, forgiveness is releasing the offender 
from repayment. This, this is a tough one. It needs to be elaborated on. There are times when someone can and ought to repay a debt, especially if it's a monetary debt, and you will have to swallow some of those debts. There will be time in your life when someone will steal money from you, either directly or indirectly, and for your soul, for your ability to relate to your Lord, there will be times that you just need to say, I am not going to hold on to this and let it eat me from the inside out like cancer. And you're just going to have to release that debt and say, I can't, I can't have it. Now I say this one is tricky. And if you are struggling with this, I challenge you to come in and talk to me. As with all things, it needs to be understood carefully. And what I'm not saying is that all of you in all situations at all time need to always tell a person they don't owe you any money or they don't owe you anything. But what I'm saying is your heart needs to be leaning in that direction. And if there is an exception, find some godly people who can come alongside you and counsel you in that. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I was going to avoid saying this, but I have to say it. God has access to all the money in the universe. And how many of you know people, perhaps the one sitting in your chair, who would gladly in a second, trade all of their cash not to be the mom whose child has cancer, not to be the dad whose child has run away from home, not to be the woman who struggles with infertility, not to be the man who struggles with porn addiction. They trade all their cash to cure their problems. You know what? All of those things, not 100%, but one of the things they all have in common is an unforgiving heart. And ask yourself, how much of your cash would you be willing to empty out of your bank account if you didn't have to worry about those? I'm not saying that that's the cause of all those, but they very often are related. I said this in a negative manner. I'll say it in a positive manner. Forgiveness is considering the offender responsible for his or her actions. If my three-year-old spills her glass of milk on the dinner table, I don't freak out about it. Why? Because, you know, I mean, if, if she looks at her glass and she just goes whack, you know, okay, well, now we have something to deal with here. But most often when she spills her milk, it's because she does one of these, you know, and her body's going freaky and not sure what she's doing. You don't forgive that. Three-year-old isn't 
in that sense, responsible. But a 33-year-old who runs into your car because he's drunk, that person is responsible. And they do need to be forgiven. Number four, seek reconciliation where possible. Forgiveness means that you seek reconciliation. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Make it your goal. Though you are not guaranteed reconciliation, make it your goal to seek reconciliation. You are not off the hook, Christian. Greg said, Pastor Greg said that reconciliation isn't a guarantee. That doesn't get you off the hook. You, Christian, should seek it wherever it's possible. Sometimes it's not possible and sometimes it's unsafe to seek forgiveness from the other person. We can talk about that one too. You should desire it and desire to make it happen where possible. And here really is where forgiveness rubber meets the road. Numbers 5 and 6, releasing the offender from verbal and mental criticism. You go home. You talk to your wife. Well, I forgave that person, but can you believe what that guy did to me? Can you believe what she said? It's not forgiveness. There is a time when you need to talk to your Christian brothers and sisters about a problem, and some of those times you, it will involve necessarily discussing the problem. But that will be with someone whom you trust will keep it between you two and that you trust will keep you accountable so that you're not just running off into gossip. Because you have to stop hating that person in your mind. You have to stop rehearsing what they did. You have to stop thinking what a terrible, awful, horrible, no good person that guy is for what they did to me stop it now because if you don't you're not forgiving forgiveness is not natural it is supernatural it is something that you do by the power of the holy spirit and so if you're rehearsing this if it's going through your mind and you can't stop then you just need to number one pray Holy Spirit, I can't stop this. And guess what? He'll forgive you. Woohoo! Praise Jesus. And two, go back to the promises. If you need to, go to Romans chapter 12. It is mine to for, um, um, it is mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. That is a promise. And you can take that to the bank. Okay, Lord, that one's off me. I don't need that anymore. And number six is related to that. Forgiveness is not humiliating or speaking poorly of them in public. Now, there's so much here that needs to be commented on. We have two more weeks. Here's what I want you to do. 
want you to go over this list and prayerfully say, Lord, is there someone that I need to take one of these steps with? Is there someone, am I harboring this in my heart and therefore I'm allowing bitterness to change me to that grow that root of bitterness that grows and defiles many, Hebrews 12 says. Or am I on this process of giving it to you? I want you to pray about that. We have two more weeks in this subject. We're going to get personal. Why? Because we all have belly buttons. And why? Because that is what the Lord calls us to do. To make the decision about the future that I am no longer going to hold this bitterness in my heart and not dwell on my feelings about the past. But instead, trust the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, this is tough stuff. And it's, Lord, stuff we need to go over because we are sinners and we have been sinned against. Give us grace today, Lord Jesus, to find you faithful to your promises so that we can forgive those who have sinned against us. Bless us as we go about our week so that we may be a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.